We are going to talk about a topic called emotional intelligence this morning. Now, when you talk about a topic of emotional intelligence, I just want to be reminded everyone that God made us, and he made us all intelligent. So you're all intelligent, okay? Okay, and in fact, typically the way things work is that there are two types of intelligence, general types of intelligence God has made. One of them you've heard of quite often, maybe even grew up hearing about this term, it's called IQ, okay? And what we're going to talk about today is emotional intelligence, and the other word for that is EQ. Now, I know it really should be EI or EQ, but I'll explain a little more what that means here in a second. But let's go back to the IQ, right? Our IQ refers to our mental intelligence. It refers to an intelligence quotient. That's what IQ stands for. And IQ indicates how well we perform on these different sets of standardized tests that are about mental tests and we compare to other people. In general, when we take IQ tests, they're not ones where we can improve our scores over time. Our mental intelligence is generally means close to the same across our entire lives. Although IQ can change for maybe a few individuals, generally for all of us, it's well established that our IQ is stable across our lives. So just for the IQ thing, I want to start out, and I wanted to just get us warmed up on IQ, okay? I'm going to cover with a couple IQ questions to get you warmed up. So the first question is, a red house is made of red bricks, a blue house is made of blue bricks, a yellow house is made of yellow bricks. What is a green house made of? Glass. Glass, that's right. And some of you are like green bricks, right? So the answer in this case is that a greenhouse is not made of any kind of bricks, but it is made of glass. But what happens is that sometimes we think, okay, there's a pattern here. Red bricks, red house, blue bricks, blue house, yellow bricks, yellow house, greenhouse, green bricks, right? So um, this type of IQ questions helps us see sometimes we quickly answer a question when we think we see a pattern without doing enough analysis to be sure. Okay, so this next one we'll just ask you to think inside your head and then I'll give you the answer, okay? So, that way we're, so the next question is, what months have 28 days? The answer is, all months have 28 days. Now some of you may have been thinking February, right? Which is good. Right? That's, that's fine, right? But this type of IQ test helps us to see how sometimes we don't listen as closely to the question as maybe we should, when we be, and we could sometimes draw a possible conclusion that's not fully right. So does February? Yeah, February is a correct answer, but it says what months, so all of the months, January through December, have it. So let's do the next one. We have it up top here, okay? So which number is next? You have 37. Remember, don't, don't, don't say it out loud. 34. 31, 28, correct answer is 25. So you'll see that each of those numbers is going down by 3. 37 minus 3 is 34, 34 minus 3 is 31, right? This type of question helps us to see again if and how we can recognize patterns, patterns in this case of numbers. We'll end with our last question. How much is half of 2 plus 2? Don't say it out loud. The answer is actually 3. This type of question, I'll explain in a second, questions our ability to perform basic math and properly understand the order of operations that are made inside the directions. A rushed answer, some of you are probably at two, right? As half of two plus two is four, two plus two is four, and half of that is two. However, listening a little more carefully, you'll notice that the first operation is not two plus two, but it's calculating the half of the first number. So I said, what's half of two plus two? So half of 2 is 1, plus 2 is 3. Most of you are probably frustrated by now, um, but that's okay. 
Um, IQ can be frustrating because it's something that you're like, well, how do I compare to other people? What's going on with that? You know, God has given us, if you think about the parable, the talents that he has in the scriptures, he allots different things to different people, but the main thing is our responsibility with our intelligence, our mental intelligence God gave us is all the same. His expectation is we will use that in order to bring him glory. EQ is very different, though. EQ refers to our emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence is the concept of knowing our emotions and our feelings and managing them and expressing them appropriately. Emotional intelligence is also the ability for us to skillfully recognize the emotions of other people, gauge how they're feeling, and modify our own behavior based upon the situation at hand in order to live as much harmony with them as we can. So let me say those two things again. Emotional intelligence is the concept of knowing our emotions and feelings and managing and expressing them appropriately. Emotional intelligence is also the ability for us to recognize the emotions of others, engage how they feel and modify our own behavior depending on the situation that we're involved with them, to live with them in as much harmony as it depends on us. That's what the scripture encourages us. Now the good news, I have some really good news here this morning. Despite the rain here, we do have some good news, okay? Unlike our IQ, which stays the same throughout our lives mostly, our EQ can grow and get increase over time. We can develop and master EQ skills. So how do we do that? Isn't that great that we can do that? We do so through learning more about EQ, through the teaching about it, and practicing. We have relationships we run into every day and people we run into every day, and we have the opportunity to engage with them and see how it works out. So our emotional intelligence is able to grow and increase the more we apply it to these relationships that we have. Now the exciting thing is, is that God is the one who provides us with the principles of how EQ works. But I'm going to give you also EQs have tests. So we're going to do a little EQ test to warm us up here. Okay? So the first question is, when you work with teams, and think in your head on these, okay? I appreciate those who are already speaking out. When you work with teams, do you A, make it very clear what you expect team members to do, or B, do you draw all the members into enthusiastic participation? Which one has the higher EQ? It's B, okay? Because this type of EQ test question, assesses our relationship management skills and how we build and maintain relationships. And when you do that well, you're able to have people on your team engage because they want to. I'll give you another EQ question, okay? Do you often, A, act as a trusted advisor to the customer, or B, tell the customer what they want to hear? A is the higher EQ. This type of EQ test question assesses our social awareness and our ability to understand others like customers and take an active interest in what's best for them. Okay? Next EQ question. When obstacles and setbacks occur in, when you're pursuing your goals, do you A, readjust the goals or expectation, or B, persist in seeking those goals despite what's happened? B is the higher EQ. This type of EQ test question assesses our self-management, social awareness, and our ability to adapt to changing circumstances and overcome obstacles when we face them. I'll end with the last EQ question. Do you generally learn mostly by A, actively doing things, activities, or B, reflecting on your past experiences? B is higher EQ. This type of EQ question questions, assesses our self-awareness and our ability to be critically self-reflective. Now let's be fair, when we come here on a Sunday morning, right, um, we do hear God's word, we understand what it says to our lives, but one of the things that makes a Sunday morning experience very powerful 
is the ability for us to go home and think about it. Usually we kind of come, we hear some things, and we reflect a little bit while we're here, and I hope that happens a bit this morning, but what happens where God works most is through the Holy Spirit speaking to you throughout the next week, the next month, and bringing things back to mind as you reflect on that. So God designed us to be self-reflective. That's how he designed us to have intellect, mental acuity. He also designed us to have this emotional intelligence. So I want to share with you a little bit what's happening, though. I mentioned good news, that EQ can get grow over time. But I want to share some sad news that we've, we've re read about recently and learned about. Recent studies have shown that our emotional intelligence is in decline everywhere. Not only in America, but across different countries of the world. People's levels of stress, levels of anxiety are on the rise, which is making harder for us to cope with life unexpected challenges. Life is harder now. Life is complicated. Another source of this emotional intelligence on the decline is our growing reliance on what? Technology. It's much easier for me to just text Pastor Brian, hey, Pastor Brian, you know, I really like your black shirt, or you know, I, where's your pink shirt? Where's your, where's your plaid shirt, right, Chris? That's where, where's, where's your plaid today or whatever, right? It's much easier for me to communicate via social media or technology than it is for me to engage in relationships face-to-face. So we engage less in these face-to-face -face interactions, and therefore our ability to develop these emotional skills becomes less, and it makes our relationships less likely to be harmonious, and we have more conflict and stress. So our church leaders, when we put together this series in the book of Proverbs, we felt it was really important to teach on this topic of emotional intelligence, as there's so much God has to say. So today, if those of you are familiar with icebergs, I'm going to touch the tip of it. And there's a whole bunch of stuff about emotional intelligence you can read in the book of Proverbs on your own. I'll give you a couple places where you can launch from and do some self-study. But I just want to encourage you that God's desire is for us to learn and grow in this area. Why? So we can have better relationships with each other here at our church. We can have better relationships with our families. We can have better relationships with people in our workplace. We can get along better with people in our classes, those in our sports teams, and those in our everyday lives. Who doesn't want to have better relationships? And the great news is God has so much prescriptive guidance in that area. And that's what we're going to learn, that God gave us emotional intelligence and he expects us to grow and learn in it. He designed us to live in harmony with each other and he gives us this guidance in his word that tells us how to do so. And that prescriptive guidance in our culture is called emotional intelligence, but really it's God's idea from the beginning. He was the one who created our minds and created our hearts, our minds for our intellect and our hearts for our emotions. And he made both of those to work together. So his desire is to increase our emotional intelligence to have more harmonious relationships where we work, live, and play. And we talk about that all the time. Now, how does he want us to do this, right? So what we want to do is continue by looking at the book of Proverbs. So we are now continuing our series, sermon series called Wisdom for Life from the book of Proverbs. Pastor Brian last week kicked off the series and he shared how wisdom is skill in life. He explained how the book of Proverbs is just bursting with godly advice for us to follow. And he walked through some key verses in the book of Proverbs about acquiring and applying wisdom to our lives. He equipped us to avoid bad decisions, helped us learn how to make good decisions that honor God, and then lead us to happiness and success in life. That's awesome. Now today, I'm going to be continuing the series, sharing from the book of Proverbs, as well as other scripture passages about the topic of emotional intelligence. The big idea for today is God designed us to live in harmony with each other. And he gives us guidance in his word that helps us to know how to do so. He designed us to live in harmony with each other. 
and he gave us prescriptive guidance on how to do that. So we're going to learn how to relate better to those in our lives, that will, ways that will positively impact ourselves and them. Next week, Pastor Brian's going to continue in the sermon series, and he's going to go to really a, a set of verses that have been iconic for our church in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, and he's going to teach us how to learn how to avoid leaning on our own understanding and how to get understanding from God for life and how to make decisions in our lives that will benefit them and ourselves. Don't miss it. Now, for today, for our Bible passages for emotional intelligence, there's actually quite a few verses we're going to look at together and what they teach us and how we can apply them. So I'd like you to turn with me in your Bible or your Bible app to the book of Proverbs, and we're going to look at three different verses that are kind of thematic in this area, and some of them will hook to other verses as we go. We're going to start with Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5. Now, these verses we're going to look at, they are going to give us guidance in this area of emotional intelligence about relationship management, about self-awareness, and about self-management. They'll equip us on how we relate to others, how we express ourselves, and how we manage our stress and anxiety. So the first verse, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5, it says, The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but the one who has insight draws them out. Now this verse guides us on the emotional intelligence focus area of relationship management and self-awareness. In this verse, we're given instructions on how to look carefully at people and discern their objectives. Now when you meet somebody, they don't really have like a window into their heart that you can see what's going on. It's not a clear pane of glass that you know what they're thinking. But what this verse is giving some instructions is the language used here is the idea of looking into the water of an ocean or a sea to look for a shell or to open up an oyster and look for a pearl inside. That's some of the language here that's used. And so we're directed to look deeply into people's hearts to see what's there and to see what we can draw out as we relate to them. Now, ironically, the same language is used in a story that many of us are very familiar with. In the book of Exodus chapter 2, it's used about the story of Pharaoh and his daughter, and she was going into the water, and she was looking, she was taking a bath, and she found a basket. And that basket happened to have inside of it a baby. And it was baby Moses. And the language that used there is the same way that Pharaoh's daughter found this basket and kind of opened it up to see what's inside there. It's the same language used here by Solomon when he says to look inside people's hearts on our own. Now this verse encourages us to be doing the same. We're regularly looking inside the hearts of people the same way she looked inside the basket. And it reminded me of a story uh, of something that happened to my family uh, about this idea of looking for things in the water. We had the opportunity as a family, we took our family to visit Sanibel Island in Florida. Now Sanibel Island, before it went through the um, kind of uh, rough uh, weather that it had, it was famous for an abundance of shells, over 200 different types of shells, and many people would go shelling there. They've named the bent at the waist position, as you see here, called the Sanibel Stoop. So when we were down there at Sanibel Island, literally, there was just shells everywhere. And you're just walking around, and you reach down, and you pick one up, and you see, or, is there anything living in there? Is it broken? And, and you basically are down here all day long looking for shells. And we came home with, like, boxes and boxes of beautiful shells. And so as you bend down and you look through shells, that's the same idea here. When you're looking for shells that aren't just intact, something that's inside them, the verse encourages us to do the same. We're regularly looking inside of our hearts, and looking inside of the hearts of people that we connect with to see what's going on there. 
This looking inside sometimes, I don't know if you've ever picked up shells, but I don't know if you've been along with somebody. There's different types of shell gatherers. I don't know if you've ever gathered shells, but there's some people, you, you, they pick up a shell and they like it, and they, they, they kind of like quickly, oh, that looks really good, and then they go back and they show their friend, their friend's like, oh, that has a little crack in it. Oh, that has this little thing in it. And you're like, really? And but those people, they, they're very meticulous about shells, and it's very important to them. They look very carefully, and their criteria for what shells that they want to keep is higher. So we're encouraged here to look more carefully in people's hearts to know what's going on there. And I want to put a plug, speaking of people's hearts, this emotional intelligence, you know, we look at that. But in the future messages in the series, we have Matt Wilt coming up to teach us how to examine our own hearts. And then and from the book of Proverbs. So in terms of today, I'm more looking at how do we examine the hearts of others. And Matt will unpack with us a little more of what it looks like to look at our own. So as we examine the hearts of others and we interact with them, did you ever find yourself saying, wow, I really read that person wrong. Did you ever have that feeling? Like, oh my goodness, where did that come from? Right? I never saw that coming. Well, why do those experiences happen to us? Okay, well, they happen two reasons. One is we don't have the window, right, in terms of, but also maybe there's some cues or clues that we missed about what was going on in that person's or information. We're like, whoa, whoa, what did I, I didn't mean to, I'm sorry that, right? So here, the scriptures are helping us develop our emotional intelligence by pausing before you interact with somebody, think about maybe what's going on in their lives. Maybe what happened recently to them, where they came from, what they're up to, and become more aware of others. So as we look deep into what's going on to different people, it's going to help us relate to them better. So let's look at our second verse. Our second verse it comes from Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32. This one says, Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. Better a, better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. Now this verse guides us on the emotional intelligence focus of self-expression and self-management. And obviously the first verse that catches, the first word that'll catch your attention here is patient, right? Patient person. I don't think, you know, if you think about patient people, you could probably, if you say, who's the most patient person you know, you're really going to struggle. There's not going to be a lot of them that you've come across in your life, right? Most of us are relatively impatient. I can tell you many stories about my impatience. My families could tell you even more. We're not going to go into too many of those today. We would be here for quite some time. But what is this idea of patient? What is described here by Solomon being a patient person? Patient here means coming to a conclusion in a slow way and also being slow to express an associated emotion. Patience means slowly coming to a conclusion and being slow to express an emotion. Now this is both patience with ourselves and patience with others. It's the idea of keeping an open mind, assuming the best without making negative assumptions, and the person, the, where we get this idea from patience and this idea of a patient person and the one who has the most self-control is, ironically, from God himself. So remember I mentioned some good things maybe to do with self-study? God himself is described in many verses of the Bible as slow to anger and patient. Exodus 34, 6, Numbers 14, 18, Nehemiah 9, 7, Psalm 86, I'm, not, I'm just rattling these off intentionally to say, I would encourage you this week to look and do a study on your own of where it describes God as slow to anger or God as patient, and be encouraged that if that's the way that God deals with us, how much more so does he want us to deal with other people the same way? 
In the same way Pastor Brian last week encouraged us to read a chapter a day, I recommend in these upcoming days to seriously consider doing a personal study on God being patient and slow to anger. And see how it affects the way you interact with other people. I know for me, when I've done this, um, it's really brought light to how quickly I come to anger about things that are not very important at the end of the day. Um, and I, I have to look back into the verse we talked about earlier. What's going on in my heart that makes me that way? What anxiety or stress is causing me to be impatient? So again, on this topic of patience, not only do we want to emulate God when we're patient and slow to anger, but God designed this patience to act as a barrier for stress in our lives. And that goes back to beaches. I want to think about beaches again. So my wife's brother, Marty, goes to the beach with us. Um, this is not him, but I'm going to tell a similar story, okay? I did not get his permission to take a picture of his sandcastles and show them to you, but this is another person. And he likes to check the tide charts and based upon when the tides are going to be in certain times, he likes to build these massive sandcastles, and then he builds some moats around them, and then he builds some barriers, right? And why does he build that barrier? What's the purpose of the barrier? To protect the sandcastle, right? Because we work so hard to make this really nice sandcastle, and so he's a, he loves when people walk by and, oh, that's a great sandcastle, and then they're like, Oh, and he loves to tell them his configuration for the moat and the, the barrier, and you know, he will extol the virtues of his activities, just ask him. But anyway, what happens is, is that, but there's thought that's brought to that, right? So he has a barrier in place, and that barrier is protecting things that are important. So in this verse here, when we talk about this patient person, this patient serves as a barrier to make sure parts of our hearts don't start getting destroyed. And even the moats act as a barrier. So he's got two levels. We've got, we got the wall, and then we've got the moat afterwards, and then eventually the sandcastle that we build. So as the sandcastle is a heart, what are the things that, we're, that God designed for us to put in place to really guard and protect our hearts? So this concept here in this verse, when he talks about a patient person, that's what he's talking about, this self-control. He's talking about we manage ourselves by knowing when, when our tides will be coming in, and using patience in our relationships as a barrier to protect ourselves. And this protection actually comes in two places. We're protecting ourselves sometimes from ourselves. Right? We know when things are going to not go well and our tides are going to come in. And also, when the tides from other people are going to come in. Who's going to, when that phone call comes, when that text comes, and we're not quite ready for it. We are not patient. I am not patient. Now what's interesting in this verse, he continues on, he describes how it's easier to be a warrior in a physical battle and to beat somebody up in that battle, then it is to have victory managing our own emotions, especially when our emotions have been damaged by somebody else. Warrior here refers to a strong, valiant person. God is explaining to us that physical strength is important, but emotional strength is also important. We can be strong, valiant people in how we relate to others if we use, as he describes here, self-control. Now, ironically, I would say is that the victory over self is the hardest victory of all. The victory over self is the hardest victory of all. And let me just give you a simple example. So we've had the privilege. Now, there's two things. I also, I'm not going to tell you more brother-in-law stories right now, but I will tell you, interesting, if it happens to somewhat relate to them, I'm not going to connect the dots. You can connect them on their own. So there are people in life, I don't know if you've ever done this, so you've, you've gone to the grocery store, you've bought some soda, right? You bring it in the, you bring it in the house, and what happens? Falls out, Right? 
right, out of your bag, out of whatever, and then what do you need to do with that soda before you open it up? You need to put it and you need to let it sit, right? Now some people, of course, will hand it to their friend or their spouse and they think that's funny, right? I don't, but like, I'm sure people have done it to me. And so what happens when you open up that can of soda? All over the place, right? Why is it that way? Well, what happens is, is that at that point in time, the contents of that got agitated. And what's going on, and then there was stuff in there that needed to be let out. Or, basically, in patience with ourselves and others, using self-control, we could wait and let it dissipate, and then we can open up and enjoy it. So that soda can is kind of a, an imagery of what happens with the idea of emotional strength. There's times where sometimes you just need to move away and wait till things settle rather than just open it up and have everything go everywhere. Now, and you, you've seen this. Did you ever, like, engage with someone and boom, like, where did that anger come from? Wonder where that happened. What, what did I say that caused that, right? And so the scriptures give us Two other scriptures in Proverbs echo the same sentiment. They give us more color on this. And I'll read them both because I think they're very powerful. One is in Proverbs 14, 29. It says, whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. And folly means foolishness. Like, did you ever see, like, you ever see two people and you see one person yelling at the other person? Like, once in a while, the person probably deserved it, but most of the time, you just feel bad for the person being yelled at, right? You're just like, Man, what did that guy do? What did she do? That, you know, and, you, and you see that you're like, what is going on in that person who is just quick-tempered, right? And the other verse comes from Proverbs 15, 18. It says, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. So I want you to just pause and think for a second about people you know, and they could be you knew, maybe they passed away, or maybe they're still in your life, who you would consider hot-tempered. Now, listen, we're not going to say their name out loud. We are being recorded, okay? So who do you know that is hot-tempered? And when you think of that person, do they typically are associated with drama and conflict? Yes, right? So here, the scriptures, back to God designing emotional intelligence, like God is just describing what he knows about people, that when we don't control our temper, right, if we're not patient, then we're going to cause problems in relationship. We're not going to have that harmony I talked about. But he says, the one who is patient calms the quarrel. Now I want you to think about in your friends and family, who is that person that typically is the mediator between people? Who comes in and just kind of helps things settle down? Um... I am not that person, okay? I, I would love to be that person who calms a quarrel. I'm not always the hot-tempered person, but I'm definitely kind of contributing somehow to quarrels at times. We won't get into all those details right now. We are being recorded. Um, but my point of all this is, is that in this scripture, when we talk about emotional intelligence, if you ask the people who do know me and you would ask me five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, how more quickly was I hot-tempered? How much more so was I the one causing quarrels and calm them? Okay? It was more. God has been working in my heart as I've connected with him and allowed his Holy Spirit. There you go. Thanks, Ike. <laughs> Ike's just attesting to some things. He's known me for a long time. Um, so we're getting an amen from the corner. But the idea here is I want to encourage you. Like, IQ, you know, you're still frustrated about the number three, I know. Okay? You're angry about that. You, you're hot-tempered about that. You'll get over it, okay? It's 
one divided by two plus, you know, whatever. We can get to that. But this area is an area that God allows us to grow and learn. And we can grow and learn together, and we actually do it together in relationships. So let's press on to our last verse. And we stay in actually Proverbs chapter 16, so you don't have to go. We actually move up to the top, verse 2. And this is the last verse we're going to look at today. It says, all, of the, all a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Now, this verse guides us on the emotional intelligence focus area of self-perception and self-awareness. It's a verse that helps us understand what we think about ourselves and also understand what more that God thinks about us. Now, God not only looks at things that we say and do, but he's the one who has the window into our heart because he can see there. And so he understands the reasons why we say and do things. He sees them and takes into account what's going on, and he sees our motives behind the things that we say and do to other people. So when it says our motives are weighed by him, ironically, it's a sense of holding on to something and getting a sense of how much it weighs. So I don't know, do we have any people who fish? Do we have any fishermen here? Yeah, maybe a few. Fishing is kind of... So when you go fishing, one of the things that you do is you cast out, and then when you catch a fish, usually there's two things you're looking at. You're looking at the length, and the weight, if it's a bigger fish. So what's happening here is this language here uses what God is using is kind of holding on to something. You get a sense of, he knows how long the fish is, but he's trying to get a sense of how many pounds it is, okay? In terms of how heavy something is. In terms of how much it weighs. And here what God is doing when he's weighing, he's weighing about how much selfish desires is in this thing that they're saying or doing. How much of this is pure and right and for the glory of me and for others versus selfish and for the that's what he's doing he weighs our motives as if, as if he's looking through something and sorting and sifting it to get in a sense of how pure it is now I, I give you an example of this from my only don't put the slide up yet um, so I had the opportunity recently I don't shop often for clothes okay we won't make any gender characterizations here or whatever or even talk about my wardrobe but I did go shopping for clothes recently when I went to the store I went and I got some, I went through the racks, I got a few things, and then I took them to where? Where do you go at a store if, if you know, obviously a shirt you can just kind of put on, but if your pants in particular, other things, where do you go? The fitting room, the dressing room, right? So, so I went in the dressing room, and I began to put some things on, and when I tried them on, I realized I did not look so flattering in a few of these things, okay? So, but why did I take it in there? Why did I take it in there in the first place? Because I thought it would fit, right? I thought it looked good in it, right? And that just goes again to show what our perceptions are of our motives and our hearts. Now, if I can think that about my waistline or my thighs or whatever it is that it didn't quite get up and over, right? Think about what I think about my heart and my own motives and the reasons why I'm saying or doing things, right? When God says, all a person's ways seem pure to them, it's a little bit like me with these clothes where I'm thinking of buying them and then I would look great in them. But the reality is if I took the time to examine those clothes a little more carefully before I took them in the dressing room, I would really have a sense that I probably didn't need to try them on at all. Right? So God has explained to us that there's times that we can easily flatter or deceive ourselves into a good opinion of ourselves or of our words or actions even if they're not fully honoring to him. I'm not that bad. I mostly meant well. So let me just give you another example. Um, we'll put this one up. Go ahead. How many of you are familiar? This is the time you ever get on the boardwalk, other things like that, right? 
and they have the fun house mirrors, right? Now, when you look in these mirrors, they intentionally are, are disproportionately let you how you appear in different parts of your body, right? So one of them, her legs look very short. The other ones, her legs look very long. In other ones, like, that's the reality of the way that we look at ourselves. Matt will talk about this more in upcoming weeks, but the concept here is that our self-perception can be off and how we view ourselves compared to how God sees us and how other people see us. Now, what's interesting is, is that things in the book of Proverbs pop up, and they don't just pop up once. So, like, when I talked about the previous verse, you might have noticed, hey, it was in, like, this chapter and then the next chapter and the next chapter. So if you're reading a chapter a day, you might get something thematic. And this one is another one that's in 16, but it pops up again in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 2. And it echoes the same sentiment where it says, a person may think of their own ways are right, person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. It has the same warning against self-deception in the sense that we get at times that we think our ways are the best. Now, have you ever met that person who, who generally thinks that their ways are the best, and they usually think they're the best for all of us, right? Just ask them and like, you know, you ask them where you want to go to eat, where you want to go, where you want to go, what do you want to do? You know, they're very confident that their ways are best. And you know what? They may have a very high IQ, they may have even a decent EQ, right? And they may have some good ideas. But not all the things that they may think for us, we know might not be in our best interest. In fact, let me take it a little bit further. Have you ever gotten that sense that you're around somebody that they're trying to take advantage of you? That maybe they're not looking out for your best, right? Sometimes we're that person. Sometimes I'm that person. And we're warned here by God that God weighs our hearts and our motives. And here God is encouraging ourselves to examine where are we doing to make sure our motives are more pure and right. Are they pleasing to him? Are they honoring to him? And as we do that, that allows us to increase our emotional intelligence. Because not only are we becoming more like him, but we're going to relate. So have you ever been around that other person, though, who you really have a sense that really does want your best, really does care for you deeply? really wants what's going to make your life better. Ever been around those people? How willing are you to go along with them when they have an idea? Why? Because they care for you deeply. And they know. So that's the kind of relationship God designs us to have with each other. So we looked at these verses together in Proverbs that give us insights and instructions on how to grow in our emotional intelligence and to live in harmony with each other. I just want to end with a few important reminders. Reminder number one is God created us in his image, including our emotions. Now, we talk often in our church that let's, let's not be led by our feelings, and I think that's very wise. But I want you to remember that God created emotions, and they play a critical role in our mental health and our relationships that we have more than maybe we realize. And God has given us an emotional, a, 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 an ample amount of prescriptive guidance of how to have increased emotional intelligence in things like relationship management, self-awareness, and self-management. He's equipping us in how we can relate better to others, how can we express ourselves, and how we can manage our stress and anxiety in our lives. Who doesn't want that? We recently wrapped up a sermon series on the Holy Spirit. I would be remiss if I did not mention how emotional intelligence is the work of the Holy Spirit inside of us. As we keep in step with God's Holy Spirit, He's the one who equips us to discern and manage our emotions and our behaviors in a way that honors God and loves people the way that God loves them. As we mentioned in our sermon series on the Holy Spirit, we cannot have the Holy Spirit living inside us without first believing in God and what he did to reconcile us to him through Jesus' death on the cross. So if all this seems kind of weird to you, like, oh, what is the emotional intelligence seems normal, but then you're like, wait, Holy Spirit and Jesus and all this stuff, 
and then being reconciled to God, if that's something new to you that you've never done, may today be the day that you do that. Recognize that Jesus died on the cross for you to reestablish a relationship that was broken with God. And when you have a restored relationship with God, he's the one who can give you the power to live out these principles that we're talking about here. For those of us who have been reconciled to God and have his Holy Spirit inside us, we've been given this selection of verses from Proverbs as insights into how we should relate to each other, where we live, where we work, where we play, and grow in this emotional intelligence. Second thing I want to remind us of is God has created us with these emotions and designed us to experience these emotions in the way he does. Experiencing emotions is God's design. It's not a defect. God wants us to look deeply in our own hearts and see ourselves and look deeply in our hearts of the others and see them as he created them. He wants us to be patient with others and slow to anger as he is. He wants to weigh our hearts and our motives as he does and see the emotions that he gave us as a gift. And they're the things that he uses for us to be the hands and feet as we engage in caring for other people. Empathy is a big one. We express understanding and empathy towards others and communicate our care for them in the ways that God does towards us. Let's pray. Dear God, help us to see how important it is for us to develop our emotional intelligence, to better reflect you in how we see ourselves and how we relate to people as you do in a loving way that wants what's best for them. Please help us to do this. In your name, amen.